So, uh, semi-professional baton twirler? <laughs> Motorsports is very own Columbo. Oh, yeah, that's a hard one to beat. Yeah. And uh, not afraid to work at the mill. Ain't going back. Yeah. But if she does, it'd be okay. Deb Williams, if you could describe this dinner with racers that we just had in one word, what would it be? Delicious. My lasagna was yeah. stupid. Like stupid. In a I mean, good way. It looked yeah. ridiculous. That was good. that was cheese. It with was some mostly just cheese, yeah. and it was but delicious, awesome. delicious melted cheese. Oh, this is one of my favorite restaurants. And now for dinner with racers, presented by Continental Tire, with your hosts Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. And welcome to yet another edition of Dinner with Racers. I'm Sean Heckman. I'm Ryan Eversley. And we are just finishing up a 25,000. Is it really 25,000? 25,000, baby. 25,000 mile journey across these United States of America. Yep. Learning, eating, getting to sit down with heroes of motorsport. Speaking of heroes. Deb Williams. Let's uh, let's talk some unsung heroes of the sport. You know, Deb Williams, we uh, got to hang out with her a couple years ago when we did our Tim Richmond and Smokey Eunuch documentaries, and we just had a great time talking with her, but we were there for those shows, and we wanted to feature Deb's story. Exactly. So like Ryan said, we've had Deb on our show before, but talking about Tim Richmond, Smokey Eunuch, but it was when we hung out with her offline that we realized just how cool her story is as well. And so we finally, after a few years, got the chance to make the time with each other and learn about the story of Deb because she has been at this for a while. She's a longtime journalist both in NASCAR and even sports car. She's probably most known for being a writer with UPI, which was a wire service back in the day, sort of like what Associated Press is now. She's written for NASCAR Weekly. She's written for TNN. She did PR for Penske and several other major brands. You name a job within sort of the writing space of motorsport, she has probably done it, whether it's being a reporter, a columnist, a PR rep. That's what Deb has done, and she's done it for a very long time, including being the first ever female journalist allowed on pit lane at some of the NASCAR races, and has won no shortage of uh, big journalism awards, including the Henry T. McLemore Award for dedication to motorsports journalism. She's twice won the National Motorsports Press Association George Cunningham Writer of the Year Award. She's basically the Jimmy Johnson of NASCAR. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So here are some of the things you're going to hear about. Being a know-it-all at 13. Joining a profession out of spite. And going your whole life at a media center without taking a selfie. Did you say going your whole life at a media center without taking a selfie? An entire career. So Deb Williams. Didn't put herself in front of the story. She went to the media center and didn't take a photo of herself? Right. Didn't say like first? No. Weird. Travel day. I didn't. No, no, huh. yeah, just just did her job. Yeah, I don't. I can't say I understand any of this. But moving on, we uh, we went to the Harrisburg Family House, yeah. which just happened to be in Harrisburg, yep. North Carolina. So it's not just a clever name. Nope. Uh, what did you eat? I had like six pounds of lasagna. You did and I had a chicken sandwich. I don't remember that. No, I did. Okay. I had a chicken sandwich. Yep, good bit. When you're going to Harrisburg, yeah. you want to ride in comfort. You do. 
Style, Always. security, everything. What was that? That was the Acura MDX. You drove an Acura MDX? I drove an Acura I MDX. I was in the Acura MDX. You were there. I was. You were there too. You know what I didn't smell? What's that? Oil burning. That's right. Because the oil was perfect. It was just the best. It was. Yeah. It was also the original. It was the original motor oil. Was it? It was Valvoline. It was Valvoline. It was Valvoline. Valvoline. Yeah. Finally, Continental Tire. Thanks. No. Continental Tire. Yes. For what you do. Especially them cross-contact Elix. Inflated. Doo. Shout out to our uh, Indy 500 winning chauffeur, Mr. Helio Castroneves. Hey, we're not stopping. We're making a really good time. Yeah, I don't know. And one thing we should mention before we jump into this, occasionally there are stories that are tough to hear. So sensitive or young listeners may not be the best audience for this particular episode. Deb Williams. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. Good to see you. Doing all right? Good seeing you. Yeah. yeah. How about y'all? Yeah, hanging in there. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so you worked with us a couple years ago. Yes. Uh, on some of our video stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, willing or unwilling, we, we baited you into our Smokey Eunuch <laughs> and Tim Richmond episodes. <laughs> and uh, you were extremely willing participant. Um, which was awesome, and uh, I enjoyed it. And they were very well received. Yeah. Uh, but thing that we overlooked in that process was your story, uh, which is why we wanted to come back. And I appreciate that absolutely. tremendously. Yeah. So we wanted to come back. We yeah. tried to do it last year. Obviously, health-wise, it wasn't the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but now we can. Yeah. And so this is this is the Deb Williams podcast, not the Smokey Eunuch or Tim Richmond's antics. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. So. So anyway, so you brought in, what is this that you brought in for us? That is back when I was managing editor of GT Motorsports. Okay. And so there was an entire magazine dedicated to GT racing. Yes, to IMSA. It was There's a whole magazine yes. dedicated to IMSA. Yes. And, and was it funded by the guy that owned the series, or was this like an actual publication? No, it was published by Griggs Publishing. Yeah. And at right. that time, Griggs Publishing published IndyCar magazine. Yeah. yeah. It published Winston Cup Scene. Yeah. Uh, Winston Cup Illustrated. Wow. And this is like the real deal. Like, it's a full magazine. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of articles and actually funded by advertising and subscriptions. Correct. Yeah. Wow. And it it uh, <laughs> came out every other month. Okay. And so um, six times a year this came out. Yeah. But there and, was still enough demand. And uh, so Rob Griggs started it was and it Griggs was, was like the publisher of the time the Griggs yeah, was, yeah. it was Griggs publishing yeah, right yeah, based yeah. here in Concord yeah and it was funny because Rob Griggs had tried to get me to come to work for him at the end of 1984 running the IndyCar magazine okay. and I wasn't that much into IndyCar at the time okay I have since You're after like GT racing only for me well no I grew up on NASCAR right 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 and, right. and but I was I loved sports cars. Okay. And I always was infatuated by the 24 Hours of Le Mans. So when he came back to me at the end of 1985, in the meantime, I had gone to work for Sunbelt Video. Humpy Wheeler at Charlotte Motor Speedway said, you know, if I had the opportunity to go work for Sunbelt Video, I should go. Okay. Because then I would be among maybe 20% 
of the journalists in this country who had had newspaper, wire service, and TV experience. Right, that's a pretty good mix. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that would just make me more valuable in the job market. And what would you be doing at Sunbelt? At Sunbelt, I was a reporter researcher for the inaugural season of the TV show Inside NASCAR. Oh, okay. okay. And yeah. I also wrote scripts for the video that R.J. Reynolds used with okay. its show car. Okay. I wrote the season-ending videos for Coors, Piedmont Airlines, okay, parties. So you're, you're doing the rest of research to set up stuff up, and then you're doing all the copy. We need to uh, we need to make you more Hollywood here. You need to say you were the executive producer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, or at least super yeah, guys. That IMDb folder yeah, popped up. Super yeah. You know, I should have looked at those videos to see what my title was on them yeah. because hold, I don't no, remember. Hold on, hold on. I don't. Okay, I don't understand how you made it in media when your first concern was the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how did that, that's, that's, what is yeah. this world? So in those days, how good was your Instagram profile? Oh, there wasn't any such thing. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. So okay. doing the job was more important than the photo of how hard you were working. Well, there wasn't. We're bragging about it. Yeah. There, well, yeah. Did you show up, <laughs> did you show up first to Media Center just to take the photo of it? Would you tweet about showing up first? There just wasn't so any you can such thing back then. I'm not, I'm not following. Yeah. It doesn't make any if sense If I can't get credit for any of the things I'm doing, just amongst the people I work with, and what's the point of doing it? Well, yeah, but by then it was a byline, and it was so funny because when I was with United Press International, we had uh, I had one co-worker, his name was Gene Wong, and Gene was from New York City. And, you know, when you were at the wire service, number one, you had to write under your given name mm-hmm. to make it more le- legitimate. Okay. If you wrote under your nickname or for your byline, you had to get special permission from New York headquarters to do that. So I'm not following anything you just said. What do you, like? Why wouldn't you put your name out? You could, okay. but it, mine had. If you look at all my UPI articles, the mm-hmm. six years I was with United Press International, mm-hmm. my byline is Deborah. Oh, oh so okay. you just couldn't be Deb Williams. I couldn't that be couldn't Deb be Williams, like yeah. Yeah. even so though like, I had okay. written under Deb Williams when I was a sports editor oh, at the Waynesville so. paper. And everybody knew me that way. So there was like an inventory of names. Deborah Williams would have written stuff, and Deb Williams would have written stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. yeah. You couldn't just have some funny nickname. No, like, and and also. you had if my the state <laughs> editor, the state editor tried Fred McNeese tried to get permission from the corporate headquarters in New York to let me write under Deb Williams since I had been writing right, under so that. So that everybody recognizes this is the name. And yes. they the said person. no. Yeah. Huh. no. Wow. But so, you know, you would uh, a byline on a wire service article means you're there. You're actually at that location. Okay. Oh, that's the rule of the time. Yeah. <laughs> that went out the window. And, well, I don't know if it did or not. Yeah. Did it? it I like I may have been responsible for a few press releases over the years that have had a byline of the location. Definitely was not there. <laughs> well, anyway, then when whether you're not <laughs> you your a-holes. byline, right. whether or not your byline got used in the newspaper right. was up to the wire editor. Interesting. Okay. So I might have a byline on a story in the Charlotte News, but the same story might run in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and not have a byline on it. I see. But it'd be the same story. Okay. So. Um, it's a very different era. Yeah. Like two-thirds of our audience just went, what? But what I was going to tell, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, okay. tell you about Gene Wong, Gene made the statement one time when somebody was complaining, one of our coworkers was complaining about not getting a byline on something yeah. in the Raleigh paper. Yeah. And Gene's comment was, the only byline that matters is the one on the paycheck. Oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah, a, focus that's on the priorities here. <laughs> also, a job. not a thing in media anymore. <laughs> what, paychecks? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very true, very mm-hmm. true. <clears throat> but... Um, you know, back then you had 
No cell phones. Right. No Instagram. Yeah. No Twitter. Right. No Facebook. Yeah. No social media. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it was funny because we had what we called UPI dreams, which is where you dream that you're working a breaking story and you can't find a telephone to use. Uh-huh. So let somebody know that you that, have a breaking story. You had to call. Like, you had to call on a pay call phone. A desk. Yeah. yeah. So and, that and somebody would pick up and like, I got a hot scoop. Well, or, mm-hmm. or you know, you had to ha- find a pay phone you could use. Yeah. And I was covering a um, hostage situation one time, and the neighborhood was kind enough to let us use the phones in their houses. Oh, wow. So you're, like, knocking on doors to call back to the (laughs) news desk. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about stuff like that. So it sounds like you were judged purely on what you produced as a as a journalist correct versus what you stood in front of on your instagram account and claimed to be a part of correct well, if you notice no. there's a theme no. with us here yeah, we're, this might be a loaded <laughs> this might be a loaded thing we're gonna we're not let this part go yeah. <laughs> um, imagine no. that world yeah but <laughs> but i mean that's one of the many reasons we wanted to get together with you was you know you came from an era that you know, one, it's fundamentally different than it is now in terms of how people did reporting, and you weren't just one job. You were a reporter, you know, during this time, and a PR person during another time, or a writer, editor, editor you know, yeah, uh, which is cool. Manager. And, yeah. and I, I, neither Ryan or I, like, pers- people who pull, like, the girl card, but you were a, a woman at a time when there weren't many women doing this That's kind true. of work. And and a sport this was very much known at the time as the boys' club. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there wasn't yeah, yeah. any movements to protect you the way, the way that would be now. So it just it, to me, that's a very fascinating time for somebody like you to have been as successful as you've been and hold the integrity that you have in, in the whole process. So well, and know. I was and I appreciate that, and I was very fortunate in that I had a lot of good mentors, yeah. people who guided me, coached me, believed in me. To, gave me the do's and the don'ts and where other women had made mistakes, yeah. you know. And um, one thing that I, you know, it started out as a teenager. My yeah. dad was a machinist at the paper mill where I grew up. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, you know do you know why we're excited that you just said this? No. Okay. Let's. We're gonna. We're gonna stop everything you're doing for our dumb joke. Um, <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the documentary from ESPN called Three? <laughs> It is a documentary. Documentary being the loose term here, not the actual documentary <laughs> yeah, about Dale yeah, Earnhardt, yeah. but the, the ESPN Films movie. movie uh-huh. Three. Okay. The Barry Pepper. You saw this? No. Uh, no. no. How I, did you? No, what? because I can't. I mean, I was a part of Dale Earnhardt. I yeah, covered yeah, yeah. Dale Earnhardt. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And Dale Earnhardt's father, Ralph, yeah. uh-huh. drove for a couple who was in high school who were close friends with my parents oh, okay. so you can so confirm and the first yeah. race car that i ever saw and touched was mm-hmm. ralph earnhardt holy uh-huh. crap okay yeah yep. when i was probably well, four then you years can, old then you can verify some things for us mm-hmm. from said not documentary mm-hmm. so in the movie so you you never watch it because it's just too close to home for you. you don't want to relive this okay well hopefully we're not bringing up any bad memories but no, again, no, no, this, no, no. this is a dumb joke we're doing um <laughs> i've been doing for four years we've been doing for four years okay so there's a very specific in this so three you know it's obviously Dale mm-hmm. and Hart focus but they start with him as a kid with you know Ralph and then with Junior um, and uh, there's a very continuous character in the whole thing a villain if you will a villain yeah that villain is the mill mm-hmm. anytime they need to create drama between Dale and his dad or Dale and his kids the threat is if you don't shape up you're gonna work at the mill <laughs> and that line shows up to the point where you're like, oh, "Okay, yeah. calm down." Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you guys have a private jet at this point. Right? <laughs> the mill's not even in business anymore. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. if if you were college yeah. kids taking a shot every time you heard the mill reference in this movie, yeah. Yeah. you'd be asleep. Yeah, wow. exactly. like it was, There's yeah. actually a baseball stadium on the side of the Cannon Mills now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, how uh, often in your actual time 
working with Ralph Earnhardt, would you hear him reference the mill? Well, you got to remember, number one, I was four years old when Ralph okay. Earnhardt was driving. Yeah, okay. so what do you got? And, <laughs> and, you know, growing up in a mill town, yeah. yep. that's where the bulk of, I mean, if your parent wasn't a doctor or a lawyer or ran a store, that's where your parent mill. worked at the mill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dad spent 44 years there so as your a dad machinist. Worked at the mill. Yeah, he okay. was a machinist. And, right. That was uh, a champion international paper correct. factory? Yeah, it was. And, and it was in a town of only like 4,300 people? Yeah. Back then? Yeah. So, I mean, and that's it's like, probably not grown much right, either. Right, yeah, yeah. right. My, my home, mill in my hometown still there. Still yeah, going. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's evergreen now. Yeah, it's changed hands, right? Sure, um, sure. But the mill, the cannon mill in um, Kannapolis, Kannapolis yeah. is no longer yeah. there. Right. right. So, the idea of uh, threatening your children. That if they don't get their act together, they're going to work at the mills. Is this a thing? No. Because, because the mill was an accepted profession? Yes. Yeah. It was like, oh. It's a good way of life, let yeah. me tell okay. you. It's like, hey, okay. you know, if this racing thing doesn't work out, you got the mill. Uh, yeah. Like, right. we've been getting it wrong the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's, he was excited um, when he was yeah, yelling he was encouraging him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I went to school. Uh, I can remember there were girls in my high school that their sole objective was to marry a fellow who had a job at champion oh okay wow so if you made it to the mill you were set for life well yeah because it was great (laughs) this is never going to close down yeah it's i mean even in the pandemic it never closed down sure wow um right so you know it what did the cannon mill produce by the way i know there's a different it was textiles okay another part of that movie they got wrong yeah (laughs) they even got the mill wrong well you know there were some people that wanted to work at the mill and some people that didn't want to work at the mill and but it wasn't this horrendous life punishment for making mistakes uh-uh. in high school. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, growing up, racing, where does this show up in your life? Um, before I was born. Okay. So. Mother and daddy were going to races when mother was pregnant with me. Okay. Oh, okay. Very early on. Was it like local dirt track or would they go to like a big city? Oh, no. Somewhere? Local dirt track. Uh-huh. Back then, everybody had the racing bug. Like if you lived in this part of town. Or in this part of the in state. In Western North Carolina. Like you we were had, in racing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are they racing themselves? No. Okay. Just no, fans. Daddy just loved cars. Okay. Okay. I remember I have this from, from the research I did on you years ago. Mm-hmm. Dad's name is Ray. Right. Mom's name. Her nickname that everybody knew her by was Cricket. Okay. Cricket. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, not a legal name then. No. Her, okay. Her, it, was, <laughs> it was what uh, she was nicknamed. Her given name was Christine. Okay. So Cricket is a nickname because... Um. She was so small when she was a child that yeah. that uh, Such a different time. uh one of the yeah. doctors nicknamed her cricket. Oh, doctor oh the doctor, the yeah. medical yeah. professional, was the one that, that made fun of her yeah. appearance. Oh no, no. You got to go by it. the doctor said. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Exactly. He's a man of power in this yeah. town. Hey, give her listen. these cigarettes; it'll grow her faster. On her, on her. Hey, listen. She told me one time, I don't mind if you drink, uh, smoke when you grow up, but don't drink. <laughs> it's, it's better for you. No. Well, well, but then her again, dad was an alcoholic. And if you're on tobacco here in North Carolina, like eh, back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. The industry, yeah. well, the back then going. when yeah, she yeah. said that, they didn't know all the bad <laughs> right. side of it. It was also keeping this part of the country going. Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah, but it, my neither my mom nor my dad smoke or drank. Okay. Mm. Okay. But all of their relatives did. Right. Mm. So you're going to local racetracks as a kid. Who are the heroes? Well, it was different within the family. Oh. It wasn't just one in the family. Of course, like I said. We knew Ralph. The family knew Ralph Earnhardt because he drove for Frank and Hilda Presley. 
who had Presley's Body Shop in Canton in the late 50s, and Frank and Hilda had been in high school with Mother and Daddy. Daddy liked Lee Petty because he took care of his equipment and wasn't one of those go-or-blow drivers. Okay. And with Daddy being a machinist, that's that's why, you know. I was first a Rex White favorite when the year Rex won the championship in 60. And then then I became a Richard Petty fan. Okay. So I was, so that was, that was the Richard Petty starstruck hero up. for you. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you picked the right one. But that's why it was so cool when I was with United Press International and got to cover Richard's 200th win at Daytona in yeah. front of President Reagan. Oh, yeah. wow. That's yeah, cool. that is cool. That's really cool. So I, like, I'm i going to pull the girl card in. I'm sorry because this is not normal. That's all right. This, Everybody has. No, but it's not what we do. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But it's not what we do is my point. But mm-hmm. but it is unique to you, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm going to keep bringing it up. But it's not, it's not our normal thing. But here's my point. There weren't a lot of, like in the 1960s as a kid, right. going to these racetracks. Mm-hmm. My impression, it could be wrong, is that as an impressionable kid, if you're looking around the garages from the grandstands, you are not seeing females there. That's correct. The only females that I saw there were the ones that Mother pointed out and said, when you grow up, you do not dress like that and you do not act like that. Are these like promo model types? Or just, just women that are <clears throat> Well, let's put it this fun. way. We were on the back stretch at Asheville Weaverville one day. And there was a woman there in heels and tight pants okay. and a little top. Yep. And all the men were around her. And it's kind of like the story where Dolly Parton says, you know, she was told not to dress like the the lady of the evening there in her hometown of Sevierville who had the long red fingernails <laughs> right, right, and right, all. Right. Well, I was told, you know, you don't. And it was funny because Mother said, you don't dress like that and you don't act like that when you grow up. Right. And I thought, but Mom. She's got all the guys around her. Right, exactly. I got that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, so that's that's where I'm going. Is that you know one of the one of the big advocacy things right now in terms of you know maybe promo models shouldn't be around as much is, is the message that we're sending to children as far as like this is the job you should be looking for versus this and so on and so forth. So at what point are you looking at this going? I can do the job of being in the media or whatnot because it's not like there was a ton of women when I was 13. Okay. How but this but let me tell you what what right it was. I was very fortunate to have parents who were ahead of their time. Both mother and daddy were huge advocates of education. And their philosophy was, get your education because it's something no one can take from you. Oh, yeah, yep. And mother wanted to go to college so badly and her father wouldn't realize, her Mm -hmm. her father wouldn't let her. And- um, Wouldn't let her. Wouldn't let her. What what was the- he didn't like his family going off. He wanted yeah. his family right there. And uh-huh. then, after you know, he committed suicide when she, the year after she graduated high school, and she had to, had to move work on around family. there, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. And what decade for her was college age? Uh, she had the opportunity to go to Berea College in Kentucky. And what, what like in the 1940s? Oh, we're talking about, well, mother graduated high school in 1939. Okay, And yeah. her Very dad committed era. suicide in 1940. Okay. Okay. And um, so, like I said, he was an alcoholic. But so they always encouraged me to have my dreams and to pursue my dreams. And mother always was, you know, in having me let me dabble in a lot of things, you know, with dance and ballet and piano and baton and everything. And then... With Daddy, I was kind of his son and daughter. 
I grew up around car garages and ball fields and horse shows, and I had a pony by the time I was six. And But it was funny because he would fuss at me if I wasn't acting like a lady when I was supposed to. <laughs> so you, you know. could do the... You could do the, the less ladylike things as long as when the time was right, you had to do the yes, ladylike things. Yes, okay. correct. So if you're at a ball game, you don't have to wear the, the dress and all things, but if it's Sunday dinner. Yes. Right, yes. okay. And, and it's like mother's, mother's philosophy, there's a time and a place for everything. And so one day, Daddy and I had gone to a race at Bristol. I, and I wasn't allowed to go to anywhere other than Asheville Weaverville and Asheville Speedway down by the river, which is on... Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s Lost Speedways um, until I was 10. And at age 10, Daddy decided to try me at Bristol, and Mother went with us, which at that time was a two-and-a-half-hour two, two drive. Right, right. And Daddy would always say, there's no place for a girl to go to the bathroom at the racetrack, so you <laughs> yeah, got to go right. before you leave home, and right. you can't go till you get back. Jeez. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, Things you don't even think about now. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> and... and um, by the when I turned 13, he decided I was old enough to take care of myself at the super speedways. So the year I turned 13, is the only time, the only that my parents and I ever went on vacation. We went to Daytona for the Firecracker 400, and that was the first time I ever saw Charlotte Motor Speedway. Daddy and I came down for the fall race in October, and he fussed at having to pay $12 for race tickets. Oh, God. It's a um, racket. Right. <laughs> and it was $12 each in the General Motors grandstand, almost right, right behind right. the flag stand, on, like, row 23, 22. Right. Which now the tickets are probably 60 or yeah, 70 oh, yeah. bucks yeah, each, yeah, you know. Yeah. But Daddy was fussing. He said that no race ticket deserved to be over $6 each. <laughs> and um, If only he knew. Yeah. But yeah. to get back to your original question about... Where do you think you could fit in here? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Daddy and I had gone to Bristol. We were sitting on the back stretch. And, of course, at that time, they pitted front stretch and back stretch at Bristol. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many 10-year-old girls are at this track? I don't remember any. <laughs> One. Um, One. Yeah. yeah. And he said, now, see that number 34 car? Yeah. He said, watch this. Of course, it was Wendell Scott. He comes into his pit, turns the engine off, crawls out of his race car, does the work on it that needs to be done, climbs back in his car, buckles himself back in, drives back onto the track, goes back into the race. And Daddy turned to me and he said, now see, if you want to do anything bad enough, you can do it. And I was also raised that if you don't like the way something's done, don't sit around and complain about it. Get up and do something about it. So I thought the coverage of the sport that uh, was available to me that I grew up on in the Asheville Citizen was terrible. And I decided that I was always catching statistical errors in the articles. <laughs> so yeah. I thought, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a sports, uh, motor sports rider. Yeah. Then I kind of had to alter it a little bit and say, okay, I want to be a sports rider, preferably a motorsports yeah, rider. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. But, but that's part that, of the process. But being a, a motorsports rider was my primary objective at right. age 13. I was saying, how many 13-year-olds do you think? Because of wrong statistics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tired of, having to, tired of having to correct these adults. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was eight wins. I mean, how many 13-year-olds do you think knew what they wanted to be at that point 
None that I was in school with. And then how many women, sorry, I'll say, how many 13-year-old girls do you think knew they wanted to be in motorsports at that point? <laughs> like I said, none, yeah. that, none in my, that I grew up with. Yeah. So were you the weirdo amongst your friends? Cause oh, you, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get to be popular until I had my own newspaper column. Well, and then you're, yeah, yeah, right. then you're a legend. But yeah. before that, no, they're like, everybody, oh, she's no, into the... No, everybody wanted their name in the paper. Oh, yeah, was for sure. Hey, that still makes you a legend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was a junior and senior in high school, I had a column. Yeah. Well, I started when I was a junior in high school. I had a column in the local paper, the Waynesville paper, every Wednesday. It was published Monday, Wednesday, Friday, about the happenings at my high school. And we had two high schools in the county, Pisgah in the east end, Tuscola in the west end. In the whole county? Yeah. Jesus. We grew up in different lines. Hey, different there places. wasn't more than 40,000 people in no, the whole I know. county. Very, yeah, right. Yeah. Very different yeah. from how I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so each high school had a reporter. They had a teen page, and it was devoted to that. And since we were the Pisgah Black Bears, mine was bear country. And... Um, so once I had my newspaper column, man, everybody was my buddy then. Okay, right, right. Mm-hmm. Then I covered, started covering high school football and basketball when I was a senior in high school, which was funny considering I was a majorette. Wait, so you're covering it and like baton twirling at the same time? Well. Or at least like looking over and taking notes while you're doing it? No, right. what exactly. I, no, what I would do is I would. She's got like a ballpoint pen at the Yeah, marking the score on the grass. Actually. I, I, and I had to do my own photography, too. <laughs> At any point, they're like, end. can you pick a lane? <laughs> <laughs> like, just do one thing for good for now. You're high school. Yeah. But, so I would run up and down the sidelines. Yeah. I would yeah. run up and down the sidelines till about six minutes to go in the second quarter. <laughs> and then I'd come over and put my camera and pad down. Yeah. Pick up my baton. Right. Go out, watch a six-minute halftime show. Come back. Put down my baton, yeah. grab my pet, pen and camera, mm-hmm. and go back to covering the rest of the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. And um, and then eventually pass out from exhaustion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh no, I was all I was like jacked up on life. Oh at yeah, that point. oh yeah. 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 I'm guessing and the other girls hated you. Oh yeah, like uh, outdoing us right. every time. By a lot. I don't know why they had the dates. <laughs> right. Yeah, because they were taking the time. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but what was well, so shit, funny? If I was a guy, you'd be intimidating. What was so <laughs> like, funny? Yeah. What was so funny was after we graduated. One of the fellas I, that we'd grown up together, actually, he ended up being mother and daddy's attorney, and I still use him when I'm back, need stuff done back there. Sure. But we've been together since kindergarten. And he said, yeah, and the year that I was a senior, we won the state football mm-hmm. championship oh, from 3A. That's a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were beating teams like 42 to nothing and 56 to 14 and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And he told me later, he said, yeah, we'd just start watching you, and we'd just say, there she goes. Yeah. There yeah. she goes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have picked up on that. Like, that kid's going crazy. So as you're doing that stuff, you know, you're in high school, and you're not only – I mean, it sounds like you're just one of those people that was got, trying to do as much as possible. Oh, yeah. You, you know, I was the opposite I've of always high school. Been I was that doing as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but at what point were you trying to find, you know, the next step with the career versus you're still going through an education? You know, is it like, hey, I got to focus on trying to get a job with a local paper, or like, I'm also going to go to college and try to move my way up? Well, what I did, I became the assistant sports editor of the East Tennessee State University newspaper. So I took that job as a freshman. At, towards the end of my freshman year, yeah. Then I was the sports editor of the school newspaper my 
junior year. And then my senior year, I was the first student assistant they had in the sports information office there. And so I would take a week off at the end of the spring quarter, take a week off, go to work at the Waynesville paper, work there until it was time to go back to college, and then I'd take a week off and then go back to college and go back to work. And, but, but now I was also in the military drill team in ROTC. <laughs> of course you were. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, I got to fill this schedule yeah, yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. No Taking 21 hours of courses. <laughs> mm-hmm. Were you able to cover any, any motorsports while you're doing the college stuff? Um, on, when in the summer, when I was at the, the working at the Waynesville paper, I would cover the Friday night races at Asheville because everything had to have a local spin to it. And at that time, we had eight drivers from Haywood County that were racing on Friday nights at okay. Asheville. Had anybody before you been doing that? Though? No. So it was something you were like, I'll just go ahead and do this thing that I like. Right. Mm-hmm. And also it's relevant. Mm-hmm. And you're nice. And you're what, a 19-year-old college kid? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was getting the credential. Oh, I was just thrilled to have the coverage. Cause really? Only, yeah. Okay. Yeah, back then yeah. they probably didn't were like, sure. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Now it would be the. Because yeah, the only, yeah, well, yeah. the only person they had then was Jim Hamer from the Asheville Citizen. Mm-hmm. Hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of him, huh? Yeah. yeah. Big, yeah. big rival. <laughs> it was interesting because I would say I had, no, it's, it's true. I had better treatment in the garage area than I did covering stick and ball sports. Interesting. Yeah. And now, that's because there's simply not much media. No, I think it was because when I first went in there, I went in representing United Press International. Yeah. Which is a big deal. Which was an international wire service. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. right then it was be AP. Like Associated Press now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Well, that was our big competitor. Okay. Right. AP and right. UPI were the two wire services. Yeah. Yeah. I can't make the joke I was about to make. And, <laughs> and um, you know, we were in big competition. It was like Mike Harris was the... Motorsports rider for the AP, and, right. and I was there with UP for UPI. Right. But you were the big national news service. Yeah, yeah. So, international. Yeah. yeah, right. So the yeah. takeoff little lady stuff can't can't fly. But that's, I mean, I still got, when I went to Darlington for the first time, which would have been, I'm going to frame the pre, the credential when I find it, because I still have it. And I want to say it was either, I want to say the spring of 1980, and when I picked up my press credential, Printed out, it was no women allowed in pits. No in 1980. Uh huh. 1980, mm-hmm. Darlington. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's horrendous. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then. Tell me you weren't walking around with that, like. Uh, yeah, it's like circles. I'm right here, everybody. Yeah. No, yeah. I, no, I went in. Poor Jay Wells, who later went with U.S. Tobacco. He was there helping um, Bill Kaiser, who was the public relations director for Darlington at the time. And Jay was up in the press box. And when I went into the press box, I lit in on Jay. Yeah. And Jay's going, no, no, we're not talking about women like you. We're not talking about oh, women like oh, you. Oh. Oh. Kind of, that that's kind of worse, <laughs> yeah. actually. Like, no, no, you're okay. It's the, it's no, the no, other no, no, one. No, no, no. We've <laughs> other women. So yeah. what am I? Right, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Bill Kaiser then explained to me later why that was on there. Well, the situation was, he said, a lot of the drivers... We're getting their girlfriends in the pits, and the wives were standing outside, going, "How come she's in there and I'm not?" <laughs> Again, you've been watching The Sopranos a lot lately. Yeah, some things don't change. So, yeah, yeah. That, what's so the like term? A guma? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> Friday nights are for the girlfriends. Saturday nights are for the wives. <laughs> Isn't that what they say? The other way around. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah terrible. 
But by the no, way, that's, a quote, that's quoting a movie. That's not we Ryan's philosophy. Quoting, yeah. <laughs> quoting a movie. That is quoting a movie. Well, I mean, I'm not a TV married, show. So I, I, I'm <laughs> quoting a TV show which, which, that has no which, bearing on my personal life. Which, which TV Sean. show? Yeah. Which TV show? Sopranos. Oh, Sopranos. Yeah, they, they talk about like, and good. Yeah, there, there's a place for the wife and a place for the side girl. Mm-hmm. Which again, I'm yeah. quoting movies and television shows. Yeah. So after you get your your press credential, it says no women allowed. And uh, you've got to be the only female there then otherwise, right? Because the others are there as spouses or girlfriends. or. Maybe. Well, I was the only woman in the press box. Yeah, so you're yeah. Yeah, pr- the only one working, I imagine. It was interesting because, you know, but they all knew I was with UPI. Okay. And they all wanted wire service sure. coverage. Sure, in the, in the pits. Well, no, I didn't go to the pits that, that year. Okay. The next year I went back and it was off. Of they the, took it off wait, the credential. Oh, so, oh, wait, yeah, yeah. so yeah. that wasn't just a print on it. That literally, you couldn't go. It wasn't just a print that well, you could ignore. It, you didn't go into the pits. I didn't go in the pits because I didn't need yeah, to go yeah. into okay. the pits that okay. day. Okay. I was right, in gotcha. the press box that day. Okay. But that was also the race where the ra- <laughs> rain interrupted the race. Uh, and so this Hawaiian Tropic got up on the um, pit wall and took her top off to her bikini and was waving it at the grandstand. And yeah, so Glory yeah. days. Did you come across people that were frustrated that they needed you coverage-wise, but they didn't want to have to deal with a woman that was working in racing? No, and I'll tell you what helped me there. Okay. Um, Number one, I had learned mistakes that I made earlier when I was, before I got to that position. So I knew what not to do. But what helped me more than anything was at the time that I started covering for United Press International, Linda Petty was president of the Winston Cup Racing Wives Auxiliary. And so when I was in Daytona for my first speed weeks, I had gone over to the fashion show that the Wives Auxiliary always had across the street at the mall at um, one of the uh, clothing stores over there, Burdines. And when I walked in and... Linda's talking to me, and all the women are standing there. And Linda made the comment, oh, I've known Debbie since she was just this high. Well, the fact that Linda Petty accepted me, told the wives and the girlfriends, she's okay, I don't have to worry about her. Right, 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 yeah. And then when I was in the garage, the fact that Richard Petty, you know, I had already gone to Petty Enterprises and interviewed Richard. So Richard knew I was with UPI. Richard knew me. And he knew that Linda had sent me a high school graduation gift and all. Okay. So the fact that Richard would stop in the garage yeah. and talk to me. Instant right. credibility. Instant credibility yeah. so back there. That's a mob the, analogy. You yeah. were vouched. Yeah. 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 Wow. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and also oh, yeah. the fact that some of the other reporters, the veteran reporters that had been covering the sport for 15 and 20 years, would allow me to hang with them in the garage and sit and be in on the interviews when they were interviewing drivers and crew chiefs at the back of the transporters because there were no lounges then. Where the lounges are now is where they carried engines. And there were no press conferences. You know, you had to fight for space at the gas pumps when they came in off the track and all. So the fact that the other reporters allowed me to be there yeah. also gave me credibility. Well, it sounds like you're doing the work. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you, had, you had a really strong background leading up to that where right. you were hustling around. And the biggest thing that Sean and I have in common is that we respect people that do the work. Right. Like, we cannot stand people that 
you know, put their name on other people's stuff yeah. or expect mm-hmm. to be treated or a certain way. And, or sit around and bitch. Yeah, exactly. exactly. they're not getting yeah. the opportunity and yeah. they're not earning and it. They're not earning it, yeah. yeah. And so it sounds like that was one of those, you wouldn't have been able to get in there if you weren't doing the work Correct. and doing it right. Yeah. And, and see, Daddy told me when I was in my late teens, he said, let me tell you something. You can't have it both ways. Ah. He said, you cannot say you want to be one of the guys and then pull the female, you can't do this female card. He said, you cannot do that. And I like your dad. Oh, he was great. Yeah. And so yeah. he, he said, so you just got to decide right now which way you want it. So very much the, are you going to do the work or are you going to yeah, yeah. back up? Yeah. Yeah. Or are you going to bitch? Yeah. Man, yeah. Ray Williams would really upset some people we know. Oh, now. boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't care. That's yeah, right. I can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I already know He'd it. Be like, yeah. Twitter's right. not a place. He's like, that's yeah. not a thing. Yeah. It's, yep. it's like he said, um, you know, a man's only as good as his word. If his word's no good, he's no good. Agreed. Don't agree with him there. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Heckman. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're hitting pit road at this point in your career. You're getting the head nod from Richard Petty that you are somebody that's worth talking to. Mm-hmm. Who's the Who's the curmudgeon that you couldn't get to, to give you the time of day? Junior Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Junior and I, <clears throat> we, we got it all worked out. Yeah. But took a minute. Took four years. Yeah. Um, I was at Riverside covering a race for UPI. And let's just say it, I insulted his ego. <laughs> and um, So you turned him down. <laughs> yep. <laughs> ah, right. Oh, that, that is the best thing I've seen today. Yep. 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 I might Copy. have. Yep. Copy. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Professional. Getting work done so, here. So, um. We didn't talk for four years. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have to. I didn't have to cover his. I didn't have to talk to him to cover his race team. Right. Right. Talk to the drivers, crew chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. Four years later, when I was working for Griggs Publishing, we had a women in racing feature that Rob Griggs wanted to do. Uh-huh. So he sent me to Ronda, North Carolina, to talk to Flossie. I'm sorry. Who's that? Flossie Johnson was Junior's wife at the time. Okay. And she's like an active part of the. Very much. She co-owned the team. Okay. And um, so she was she a wife at the time too. uh, Four years prior. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, she'd been around him since she was thirteen years old. Okay, copy. When he was in federal prison in Chillicothe, Ohio, for moonshining, she was on the one that walked to the bus to catch the bus to go to Chillicothe to to visit him. I got you. Enough said. And um, so. He didn't know I was in the house. <laughs> uh-huh. And he walks in. <laughs> Flossie looks over and goes, Hey, Junior, Deb Williams from Winston Cup City. Or it was Grand National seeing them. Interviewing me. I just looked, smiled, said, Hey, Junior, how you doing? <laughs> Fine. Fine. It's a goddamn boss move right yeah. there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we didn't have any problem. Yep. And, yeah. And yeah. then yeah. when he was about ready to, to sell his team to Brett Bodine, and we were sitting in the um, cafeteria talking. I was doing the interview with him at Rockingham. And he started to go off on the side. And I said, don't start that with me. I said, if you're going to start that with me, I'm getting up from this table and leaving. Now get back on the topic of the interview. Nice. Never had another problem. I want to go back a half step. So it's in some of the initial days, like uh, Linda Petty 
kind of vouching for you, so to speak, mm-hmm. at, at the fashion event, when she's vouching to the other wives for you, is that in the context of this is a proper professional woman to do a job, or she's not a threat to your place as somebody's wife? I think it was both. Okay. I think it was both. Yeah. Because I know I was talking about when Winky Louise was Miss Firebird, who later married Jerry Kramer. And Linda told me one time, she said, I always liked Winky. She said, you never had to worry about your husband with Winky. And, uh, but what I was going to tell you, then I went to Darlington. I think this was, let's see, I was the UPI Charlotte Bureau Manager in 84. Bill Broderick, who was the one that handled all the Darlington, Unical Darlington Record Club invites, invitations, had invited me. You know, it, since I was a UPI wire service reporter was always invited. And I walked out of my motel room, and one of the veteran reporters looked at me and said, um, have you got a business suit with you? I said, yeah. He said, well, I would advise you to go back in and change clothes and put it on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow, like a, yeah. So Let's establish roles here. Yeah. So I went back in the room and changed clothes, put on a suit. And uh, when I got to the Florence Country Club, there was a table. When you come in, came in the front door, there was a table there, and there was three women checking people in. Well, when I registered, they motioned me on back past the table. But I noticed other women were being escorted into a side room. So there were some of the older drivers from the, the 50s in the 60s that were looking at me really weird at at the cocktail reception. And I thought, what's wrong? Did I not zip my skirt? Do I have a run in my hose? You know, what's the deal here? So I just kind of ignored it and spoke and went on, talked to people I knew. When we got ready to go into the ballroom for dinner, Bill Kaiser had told... To the to McCall brothers, one of the McCall brothers, to usher me to my seat, told them which table I was at and where I was sitting at. I thought, well, that was very nice, <laughs> you know. Right. So I didn't think anything about it. Sure. What I found out, probably three or four years later, probably four years later, was the Unical Darlington Record Club dinner had never been open to women. Wow. And that's why the older ones were looking at me weird. Yeah. But what they did, the, they ushered the wives and Patty and all into that side room where all the women could be there together and watch the proceedings on closed circuit TV if oh, they how, wanted how to. Yeah. yeah. So what they... what. Kaiser wanted to make sure they did was they put me out of range of the camera <laughs> to where the camera didn't right. pick me up. Right. Yeah. And they am seeing me in there and going, well, sh- why, why is she, she in there? there? We can't yeah, be there. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. Good times. Yeah, different times. Yeah. Man. But, yeah. but, but year, many years later in the 1990s, when they started having female officials and, Lisa France Kennedy was moving up and running ISC and all. One night at that Darlington Unical, and it's it's a very special moment to me. 
Lisa and I sat beside each other at the dinner and compared notes on how our dads toughened us up. Oh, that's interesting. So, consistent theme here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Dad saying, no, no, you're going to go do this, but you're going to be yeah. gonna mm-hmm. be the real deal about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't play it both ways. Right. You know, take it on the nose. Yeah. I got the, nothing I can add to that. Um, two, two things. Uh, one is, so like, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're a lifelong fan of the sport. You started mm-hmm. watching it. You went to your first big race at 10, but you got into, you know, sports writing to correct statistical errors like that you were doing seeing. this wrong. Right, yeah, right. So yeah. here's where I'm going with this. You know what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. In addition to, like, the, the obvious, like, oh, who hit on you and that kind of stuff, there's also what we now call the mansplaining factor. <laughs> like, have you, yeah. you know mansplaining, yes? You've never heard Whoa. of mansplaining? Oh, we're about to blow Lucky your mind because you. I'm guessing this was your whole I mean, life. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, She's like, oh, you mean just the way men spoke to me? Right. No. No. So yeah. mansplaining is when you uh, – I'm going to mansplain this to you. Oh, um, my God. This yeah. is happening. Holy uh, <laughs> mansplaining is when a male explains to a female something she already knows, but or it's kind of condescending. Capable because, of knowing. Yeah, she's or, very yeah, knowledgeable, yeah. but yet because she's a woman, he assumes she doesn't know. So then he condescends by explaining to her what she already knows she's looking at. Well, that means, yeah. But I also learned from a very valuable lesson from one of my editors named Gary McCready. And that is, if you put on the Columbo Act, you sure learn a heck of a lot more. What do you mean? Kids Columbo yeah. was a uh, TV was a detective, detective show. show. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say Matlock, but that doesn't that's horrible. That's anything. Well, <laughs> Matt, Matlock was different from Columbo. No, Columbo no one knows knew, what we're talking about. Yeah, no, but Columbo like, knew knew okay, what was yeah. Yeah, that's what we're hearing. the deal yeah, was. Yeah. But right. he also knew that people were going to be more apt to tell him stuff if he acted dumb. Okay. So, in other so, words, mansplaining works in your favor because you can just see through it. I can see through it, but I can might, always use it to my might advantage. Might learn something from it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because if there's yeah. one thing I've learned in racing is everybody likes to talk and, and make you think that they know everything, oh, what's yeah. going on, yep. and they're yep. the smartest one in the bunch. Oh, so man. You, so it's almost like you turned it against them. <laughs> Deb, you got, you got the next week off? God you want to go in the car with us? Because this is exactly <laughs> what we feel. Like the most common phrase we use about people when we're just bullshitting is, yeah, he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> you, you know? But point being, <laughs> you, you, you use this against people because what they think they're telling you, they're actually revealing other things exactly. that you're looking yeah, for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what I just heard was that you are pro-mansplaining, Deb Williams. <laughs> is that correct? <laughs> we just canceled you. Let, let <laughs> Two men. Yeah. Let, let's put Christ. it this way. Well, it was funny yeah. how I learned this. Yeah. Gary McCready and I were, I guess we were covering the Pocono race together one mm-hmm. time. And I asked Gary, I said, Gary, why did you act like that? You knew you knew the answer. Why did you act that way? He said, you ever watch the TV show, Columbo? I said, yeah. He said, how does he find out everything? He acts like he doesn't know anything. I said, okay, I get it. So it was a man that taught me that. <laughs> <laughs> Well played. Well played. <laughs> yeah. Well played. It's almost like you've survived in this industry. Yeah. It's almost like you know exactly what you're How doing. How to play all of this. So. <laughs> Including us two idiots. But, yeah. but yeah. see, yeah. the other thing is, you know, it never occurred to me, all these men that had been covering the sport for 15 or 20 years mm-hmm. were not into the mechanics of the cars. Sure, sure. And, of course, with Daddy being a machinist, you know, if we were listening to a broadcast of a race, 
and somebody on the broadcast, they'd say, well, what happened today? Well, I broke an A-frame. Mm-hmm. I'd say, Daddy, what's an A-frame? Okay. He'd say, come out to the car and I'll show you. Yeah. Come out yeah. to the garage and I'll show you. A really good parent. So yeah. I have always loved the machines, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. It, what always intrigued me about racing was that the men and now women could take their minds and their hands and build these cars and engines to do what they do. Mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed having Robert Yates explain how the new cylinder heads worked mm-hmm. and why they were designed like they were mm-hmm. and, and what L. Wilson doing that too, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and explaining the, the chassis and why they did this and, and all that. It was funny when Robbie Loomis was a uh, crew chief at the 43. And I remember I was in their transporter one day at New Hampshire and he was explaining to me a, a piece, a bar, and he took one down and was letting me look at it. Mm-hmm. I started doing a front spin with it. Nice. He said, you're not right. <laughs> <laughs> so you were vouched for by Richard Petty because you'd done an interview with him, and he got to know you. This was your childhood hero. Mm-hmm. What was the first Richard Petty meeting like for like the little girl in your heart that was like, oh, my God, that's Richard Petty. Like the legend I, of all legends. Yeah. I, had, uh, I just couldn't believe I was sitting there right. yeah. interviewing yeah. him, you know. But it was interesting because then, like, two or three years later, I went back to Level Cross to do another interview with him. And when I walked out, I looked at – I was still with UPI, and I looked at our state photo editor, and I said, you know, I felt like that interview went a lot better than the one two years ago feel a lot better about it i think i got more information he said you know why don't you i said no why he said because when you came here the first time and you sat there you were just enveloped by you were finally getting to sit here and talk to richard petty something you had wanted to do since a child and he said, this time you came here as a reporter and you interviewed him as a journalist. Uh, yep, yeah, I get that yeah. completely. Yep. Yeah. And that was one thing that was hard for me when I first came in was here I was having to interview these drivers sure. that I had watched as I was growing up. Yeah, right, yeah. right. You know, and had admired. Right. And now I was having to question them. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And that was uh, I mean, an adjustment. Everyone in that kind of work has that challenge. Well, we've even yeah. like had that with this. Yeah, like with, with the Ryan podcast. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Right, the first time we met Ryan Lewis. No, but like we, we went to dinner with Mario Andretti. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he's going to come through that door in a minute. Yeah. You know, and oh, like yeah. we're fans. Yeah. We're absolutely children right now. Yeah. yeah. And since you brought up Mario. Yeah. Let me tell you one of the most. Just of, the worst, right? Just the worst. No, one of the most special events. Yeah was the night that Mario was inducted into the International Motorsports Hall of Fame in Birmingham, Alabama, was unknown to me at the time, was the same night that I became the first woman to receive the Henry T. McLemore Award, which now we have changed the name. I say we, those of us who have won it, have now changed the name of it. To the American Motorsports Media Award of Excellence. Oh, cool. 
Yeah. And we've we've. And so you're the first changed. woman to win that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you didn't know when you were Mm-mm. when you were there. Mm-mm. Oh, what a surprise! I didn't know until it was announced. Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, was this because there was some sort of like four candidates, one winner, or you just didn't know? Just didn't know. That's oh. incredible. You must have been losing it. And um, what if it you didn't was on live up? TV. What if you didn't show up? Well, <laughs> Bill Broderick was making sure I was there, yeah, and of course, <laughs> Bill had asked me, "What are you wearing?" And but that wasn't. <laughs> you didn't think about right. it. Right. Yeah. Because well, no, we're gonna put you on the side. Well, the camera angles. No, but but this particular night Broderick had put me at the same table with Mario Andretti yeah and the Italian ambassador to the United States wow and Mario and the ambassador sat there and talked in Italian all evening couldn't understand yeah. a word they said mm-hmm. but it was just so special yeah. I mean I'm sitting here I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, here this, here I am from a small mill town in Appalachia, Southern Appalachia Mountains, and I'm getting to sit here at dinner with Mario Andretti and the Italian ambassador of the United States. And I was just, you know, and then I was thinking about some other things, like the time I got to interview Chuck Norris. <laughs> yes. When Eric... Even today, that yeah. would be... We'd Why be are nervous. we wasting our time on Andretti? Yeah. Come on. When Eric was driving in the truck series, and I got time with Chuck at Richmond when he was doing the walker, and and Aaron, his brother, had invited me to come to the set sometime and, and watch him film walker, and I never got out there to do it. I uh, wish I Deb, had. Deb. Priorities. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know what to do now. So you, you go to the Motorsports Hall of Fame the night that Mario gets inducted, mm-hmm. and you get an award, and you're sitting at the same table. But you know what, really, and I don't know if he remembers it or not, but they had those who were inducted into the Hall of Fame as, as well as, as myself come up on stage. It, it was a live telecast on TNN. Uh, Patty Wheeler, Humpy's daughter, was the producer of it. Nancy Neal, now Nancy Neal Adcock, who was the PR director for TNN was there. And they, Nancy and Patty, told me afterwards they had or had laughed because Chris Economaki presented the award. Well, they wouldn't tell Chris who the winner of it was. When they did the dress rehearsal, they had had it blank in the on the teleprompter who it was. And they told me that Chris got so mad at him because Chris said, why won't you tell me his name? What if I mispronounce his name? I've got to make sure I have it right. So they said it was all they could do to keep from laughing out loud. <laughs> but one thing that was so very, everything about that night was very special. Yeah. But what was, was really, we were all standing on stage and as they were going off, and they came up on stage, and Richard Petty came up on stage. And he bent down, and he whispered in my ear. He said, I'm so proud of you. Oh, my goodness. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Just the it's king. Like childhood hero. Just the king. Yeah. Full Your circle. first favorite driver. You got to interview when you were young, and then yeah. you get in. Yeah. yeah. And, like career and, and so when it was his final season in 92, Steve Wade knew who Steve Wade was the executive editor seen then and Steve knew how much I thought of Richard and Linda and all. Yeah. So I was assigned to Richard for the his final year to cover it. 
So he got to the point where he just treated me like one of his daughters. <laughs> Get that tail light replaced in your car. It's out. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. The bad yeah. kind. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Now you're like, now that's just what I needed. Nagging dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like Linda had gotten a um, stuffed dog. You know, Linda was on the Board of Education. Uh-huh. And, of course, Richard was a county commissioner. And Linda had gotten this stuffed dog in from this class in the Midwest. I don't remember if it was Kansas what? or Oklahoma. Oh, you got a stuffed dog? No. Stuffed Did you dog? watch uh, Scrubs? I, I genuinely don't know what the hell you're Down talking Down rowdy. About. Well, yeah. the stuffed dog was named Sparky. Like it was like a real dog that was stuffed? No, it was a stuffed animal. Oh, it was a stuffed, okay. It was stuffed like a animal dog. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And so. Not like Scrubs, forget it. They were wanting, this was what the teacher was having the children do to learn their geography, was to travel with the race team, with with Sparky, so. Um, oh, it's Flat Stanley. Yeah, Archie uh, Kennedy. Flat Riley. Yeah, yeah Flat Riley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Archie Kennedy was the motor coach driver for Richard and Linda at the time. Yeah, okay. And so Linda got a little STP jacket mm-hmm. made for <laughs> Sparky, awesome. Sparky. Yeah, 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 yeah. and put Sparky in the motor coach. Right. Yeah. Well. Little hat. Yeah. No. So, <laughs> Linda decided that Sparky needed to come back to scene with me this is when i was editor of yeah. nascar winston kept seeing yeah. that sparky that the children needed to learn how scene went together how right, a newspaper right. went together so sparky needed to come back with spend a week with and me. you're like taking photos of this process kind of thing yeah yeah i don't remember if we did that or not sure. but anyway i had to write a thing what sparky did yeah so yeah. i'm down at at uh rockingham we're we're all at rockingham and i'm on richard and linda's coach and Linda's explaining to me what she wants. So I get ready to go out the door. And um, Richard looks at me and he goes, you know, you're going to look stupid walking with that dog up pit road. I said, not any more so than with some of the men I have dated. <laughs> and this one's got, more adorable. Yeah, he got yeah. he got to laughing about that, and then before I got out the door, Richard said, "You know, people are gonna think you're crazy carrying that stuffed dog around." I said, "Richard, you have to be a little crazy to be in racing." He said, "Yeah, I'll agree with you on that." And I said, "And you have to be a little crazy to be in the newspaper business." Yeah. He said, so what you're just saying is that you were going to confirm what everyone has suspected. I said, well, yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Do you pay much attention to social media these days? Only when I have to. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, so yeah. who, because I'm guessing almost all of them, who of that, like quotes like that, who would not have survived Twitter? Oh, gosh. None of the guys that were covering racing when I was covering, yeah. when I started covering mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But have been canceled. Yeah, I th- when I say who would have survived, like who would have posted the tweet that would have ended their career? Well, none of them had PR people then. <laughs> yep. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. No, the, that didn't Kate start happening. That, that yeah. didn't start happening until the late 1980s. Back then, when I started covering the sport, you had Harvey Duck with STP for Richard, and the manufacturers, each manufacturer had somebody, mm-hmm. and the tracks had somebody. That was it. And depending on whether you had a good relationship with somebody or not, and they trusted you, dictated whether or not they talked to you. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was just a direct one-on-one relationship. Yeah, with, yeah. And so, so, and one of the, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons we we want to come back with you, but um, I remember vividly when you sat down with us a couple of years ago, and we were just all kind of hanging out afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a whole conversation about how that PR game has changed because mm-hmm. what is now very standard and not even seen as anything else uh, is the every team and in higher levels of racing like NASCAR or even IndyCar, every driver has their own PR person. But going back to the 80s, the PR thing started to really only show up with the big sponsors as they slowly mm-hmm. trickled in, and, and, and that became a thing. Yeah, um, with corporate when corporate America yeah, came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What I find interesting now are yeah. how many drivers are finding out they're stepping away from social media. Yeah. Why would that be? <laughs> well, well it's, it's interesting because I think it goes back to something Justin Haley said last year. When we were, I think we were getting ready to go into the playoffs, and somebody, it's been within the last year, someone asked Justin Haley about his presence on Twitter or social media and how that would affect his stardom or whatever. And Justin Haley made the comment, he said, I didn't go into racing to become a star on social media. I went into racing to win races. And then Chase Elliott stepped away from social media. I saw a tweet a few weekends ago from um, Matthew Dillner about the hatefulness and cruelty and everything on Twitter and social media. And what came back to my mind were the letters to the editor that I used to but get. But that would have been the equivalent, but it took real work. Well, yeah, yeah so but... Calm down eventually. Well, but something and the, something. The, and, yeah. yeah, but the thing that was interesting there, you had an editor to edit what the cruel, what yeah. you got. Oh, so somebody who was filtering it before, like the writer yeah. herself. Yes, or because, saw it. Yeah. you know, I can't tell you how many letters to the editor I went through. I'm going to cancel my subscription if you don't run my letter. Yep. Or oh, wow. if you don't run, if you don't oh, yeah, run my yeah. letter, you're controlled by NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know, or they'd sign, not sign a real name. And if there was a name or something that I thought was phony, I would go to circulation and I'd say, look and see if we've got this person on the subscription list. Oh, yeah, good call. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'd have them check tell. to see if the person was real. Yeah, interesting. Um, one, one of the funny thing, one night, we had this 29-page fax mm-hmm. letter come in on fax. And you could tell the person was getting more drunk as it progressed <laughs> because <laughs> the letters kept getting, the words were getting bigger and bigger on the pages. And like when we got to oh, page. the actual size of the font. Yeah. yeah. Right, 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 well, right, right. it wasn't a font. It was handwritten. Yeah, 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 like, like not like the, the word itself, but the actual writing. Yeah, the actual writing. writing yeah. You know, we got right. to page 25 and it was <laughs> like, like words five words on a page. <laughs> So we all pass that around the office and got a lot of laughter yeah, about that. Switches from pencil yeah. to crayon. Uh-huh. You're like, wait, wait. Uh, the one that the one letter we got that I could never answer because every time I started to read it, I got mad. And it said, "Well, all you do is party all weekend and hang out with the drivers, and then come in on That's Monday." That's what you do. That's what this writer said. Wow. This letter, the editor mm-hmm. said, and, and it was referring to all of us, right. not just me. Oh, okay. It said all you Doing do on tricks with crowbars. Yeah, all yeah, you yeah, all you yeah, do yeah, on the weekend yeah. is, yeah. But they said all the reporters do is party and and um, hang out with the drivers all weekend, and then come in on Monday mornings and write their stories. And I thought, 
you really just don't have a clue, do you? Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. were doing that, I think people would read it. <laughs> <laughs> this weekend, we got really crazy. We lit a rental car on fire. I'd be like, next page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, well, we won't talk about the ones that drove the rental cars in the swimming pools. Yes, and we will. Race. What, what, what the show is, is yeah. for? Like, <laughs> we have time. It was a different world back then. Well, yeah. but that, so this, because this is one of the, the kind of offline things I remember from a couple of years ago. Um, you know, when we did like the Smoky Eunuch and Tim Richmond episodes with mm-hmm. you, part of the theme for us is that the, the, these characters that we love to spotlight, you don't have that as much anymore. And you made a very specific argument that you got to stop blaming teams and PR mm-hmm. for the sort of what we now call robots. It's it's the sponsor side of it right. that's really the problem. And I yeah. no one had ever sat me down and said, no, trust me, I'm, I saw the change and it didn't come from the PR people. And, you know, I didn't realize that until yeah. I went to work for a race team. Okay. And that's when I realized that it was coming from the, the vanilla, the um, sanitization or vanillization of the competitors was coming from corporate America because they were concerned that, it would affect adversely affect their sales in the marketplace if the fans got mad at the driver that well, they wouldn't buy their product. Right. And he I say, I don't like I'm not buying country time. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I had never been anything but a reporter until I left scene at the end of 2003 and went to work for Roger Penske. And during those years, I learned the team side of the sport. And then I worked the Enfield Media Center at Rockingham for Andy Hillenberg when he reopened there. And then when the Pro Cup Series, I handled PR for a series. So I handled PR for a team, a series, and then when North Wilkesboro reopened, a track. So I say that those 10 years in there that I did all that is really when I got my motorsports education. When you saw the sponsorship angles of it, yeah. Because I, I then was able to look at the sport And something that Bill France Jr. said to me one time when he was very, very angry at me for something that I had, an article, when I first took over as editor of NASCAR Winston Cup scene, and we had run it as a cover story, and it was about all the crashes at Talladega, and the cover photo was of a car going over the wall at Talladega. And Bill France Jr. intercepted me as I came out of the press box at Michigan because the control tower was beside the press box. He chewed me out all the way down the steps, all the way through the tunnel until we came up on the other side of the track, and he had to go one way, and I went the other. And when we were at Darlington for the Southern 500 a few weeks later, and I went up to him at the National Motorsports Press Association Hall of Fame dinner, And I told him, I said, you know, I really appreciate you coming to me and telling me how you felt to my face. And he said, let me tell you something. He said, I will never send a messenger. He said, when I have something to tell you, I will tell you to your face. And he said, you remember one thing. We all eat out of the same pot. I did not understand what he meant until I worked for a race team a track, and a series. And that's why I say I got my motorsports education then because I see stories and columns that I wrote before I did all that that I wouldn't write now. That Completely I would write, blind have, to how this could affect all those other exactly. angles. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Well, or, or that I was wrong. Oh, yeah, you know, sure, sure. I was wrong. But I also... 
How do you work in media and say you're wrong? But I also... <laughs> Different hey, era. Different era. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, my punishment from my parents was a lot less if I admitted I was wrong sure, than if yeah. I sure, didn't. Yeah, sure. yeah. But um, at the same time, I see stories and columns that I would now write mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have understood or even had a clue to prior to that right, right. decade of, of education. Yeah, yeah. I find it interesting that you wrote an article about Talladega with crashing. And he was upset about it. And now it's like literally what they market to tell you, like, Talladega, the big one's coming. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and the, the um, <laughs> picture, if I remember correctly, the photo that we had on the cover, yeah. you know, we're talking 1993. Yeah. Was the photo of um, when Jimmy Horton went over the wall yeah. in the first and second turns yeah. down there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's probably the most picked up magazine out of all of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? It's probably the most like, whoa. What's funny is now it's so commonplace, but death is bad for business. And so if you mm-hmm. see this potential from, for that, right. you know, then I think that's. But that eyeballs. Sense. Right, right, right. But well, now that it's not seen as that kind of dangerous. Yeah, but, but yeah. think about it now. Okay, I don't know if you saw the piece they had on FS1 about renegades, the bad boys of NASCAR. Don't you dare do what you're doing. Okay. But, but what I'm getting at is that feature particularly with the moonshine and all yeah. would not have been done 20 years no. ago or yeah. even right. 30 yeah. years yeah. ago yeah. Yeah. Right. took that you know yeah. Yeah. and and the one thing in in thinking back to that day of the the interview yeah the one thing that I didn't say and I debated in my mind do I say this or not mm-hmm. when they were talking about what is a bad boy and, and this you know, one thing I didn't say was, yeah, but a bad boy is awful sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Mm-hmm. Understood. Mm-hmm. Sounds like, well, now. I, right. well, <laughs> I guess I am yeah, the I mean, PR yeah. sports car. <laughs> yeah. um, but, like, and, and this is, I don't know how, how this translates in the edit, but, like, our, one of our absolute favorite recordings that we've done doing this is not what transpired in the edit uh, because it went through. Uh, oh right, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, well, this will get bleeped. Um, uh, we did a recording with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, loved it. Like, yeah. really loved it. Get really smart, funny yeah. is all. I understood up. what we were trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it went through apparently seventeen layers of management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they butchered it in terms of what we had yeah. to take out and yeah. do this. Yeah. And um, and you know, I walked away from that basically. MFing that specific PR mm-hmm. uh, entity, yeah. yeah, and said driver <laughs> called yeah. me um, just personally to be like, I'm sorry, but understand it is not them. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's our sponsor. Mm-hmm. Like they're so terrified of the mm-hmm. sponsor and pissing somebody off. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the Fortune 500 nature of having like a, a marketing department or a marketing agency with 13 people mm-hmm. that are all yeah. everybody's yeah. looking for a reason to yeah. to not get in trouble. And that's what we. Oh have yeah, there, so. they're terrified of yeah. of. Um, they don't want to lose their job. And, that's a big part. And, you yeah. know, that's what's so sad. The fans don't understand. They blame the car owners. They blame the drivers. They blame NASCAR. For being robots. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've, right. we've yeah, been yeah. guilty of that, yeah. but we've toned that down. But it's, yeah. but it's the on. sponsors yeah. that's that's yeah. So we need to stop having money in this sport. Yeah. yeah. It needs to be privately funded. Yeah. Just all tobacco. Yeah. Or that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we were you were looking at the magazine yeah. GT Motorsports earlier. The interesting thing that we found in p- producing that publication is the people who follow sports car racing are interested. They aren't interested in the drivers and the people and all. 
like they are in NASCAR. They're interested in the cars and the technology. Right. And the podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More so. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and that's why that format that worked so well in NASCAR didn't work as well in GT Motorsports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, oh, man, I met some great people when I was doing it <laughs> full time. Oh, yeah. 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 I loved sitting in the media center at the 24 Hours of Daytona and yeah. hearing all the different languages sure, spoken, sure. Japanese yeah. and German yep, and right. all. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And, and learning. Was it, was it cool that, like, in the media center at an after race, you'd have to fight for space? You could go to the, the, the Rolex 24 media center and you'd have a table all to yourself? A whole room? Yeah. Well, you didn't have to fight for space because you had assigned seating. But you're ruining, you're ruining the joke. The joke. <laughs> little lady, let me tell I'm you how sorry. this joke <laughs> Little lady, no, let me you, explain you had to, you had, hey, Where you had to fight for yeah. space was at the gas pumps. Because when they would come in after a race and everybody was fighting to interview the, the driver. Oh, yeah, right. Because you didn't yeah, have yeah. That's where you had to fight yeah. for space because yeah. they didn't have press conferences okay, right. and everything. And this is so literally yeah. the press briefing was just somebody was clever enough to realize these guys are going to go here. Through gas pumps, so yeah. I'm going to be right here to talk to whoever. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was because the print people were about to get in fights with the broadcast people. Yes. <laughs> and that was the reason they that started yeah. doing the. It's like the scene in Anchorman. Where yeah, that sounds like the saddest fight I've ever seen. Yeah. In fact, there's there's one broadcast reporter that will swear to everybody that I threatened to shoot him one day. And well, I, sounds good to me. Yeah, who's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, he always brags about it. Mark Garrow with PRN. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And, him on the phone. And um, Mark says, yeah, she, she threatened to shoot me one day. This was after the 1990 Daytona 500. Uh-huh. I said, Mark, I did not threaten to shoot you. I just told you. I said, it was after you shoved me and you shoved me into Earnhardt. And you know, Earnhardt didn't like to be touched. And I said, I didn't threaten to shoot you. I just informed you I had a pistol and I knew how to use it. <laughs> I was about to judge. You just showed him your gun. Yeah. Oh, sh- you really did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah. I mean, you didn't have one in the garage. Gee. It's like guns don't yeah. shoot people. I do. <laughs> Keep that in mind, pal. Yeah. We do a uh, pass along question. Mm-hmm. And we had lunch today with NASCAR driver Corey LaJoy. Oh, Mr. Okay. Yes. And he said he's interested to how he's interested to hear how media members see the sport and see if you can see the entirety of it because he noticed that when he does his show on on Sirius XM or, or on MRN that he'll talk to journalists that don't necessarily understand the whole thing. That's correct. And so he was thinking, I wonder what Deb's take is on that. Do you see the entire picture of the sport? I think I do now yeah. because of having worked for a team a series and a track the problem you have with a lot of today's media is they don't have the history in the sport that the the journalists did that were covering it when i started covering it and most of the reporters that are covering it now have nothing prior to say 1995 and therefore, they don't know the history. They don't understand it. And racing is so different from covering stick and ball sports because when you cover stick and ball sports, all right, let's say you're covering college. You've got that athlete you're covering for four years. High school, maybe four years. Pro, NFL, NBA, whatever, maybe 10 years. In racing, you're covering the same people for 30 and 40 years. You know, I'm still 
okay, I've been covering the sport for 40 years, not counting when I started covering at Asheville Motor Speedway, and I'm still writing about the same people, and I've got to know what happened back in the 60s and 70s to know why it's relevant now. And the majority of your people covering the sport now don't have that background, and they need to learn it. And it's just like when Richard Petty got caught with the oversized engine and the left side tires on the right side at the Charlotte Fall Race in October 1983, the fact that Bobby Allison took up for him and was monumental because in the 1960s, you've got to know that after several races, Bobby's crew and Richard's crew with Dale Inman and Maurice got in fistfights in the pits with Bobby's crew and how Richard and Bobby beat and banged on each other at North Wilkesboro. You've got to know what happened to know why it's relevant why it's so now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the majority of the reporters don't. The other qualm that I have with them, I'm an extremely competitive person. I know I will never condemn a driver for doing something that I know I would do if I was in the exact same situation. Right. I don't see that competitive fire in a lot of the journalists that makes them understand a mm-hmm. driver's personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that's, that's one it. thing that's very much missing. This is a massive pet peeve of, of ours, especially myself as a driver mm-hmm. that Sean races too, so he understands it. When, when – uh, Certain people in our sport decide to have an opinion about what drivers should be doing mm-hmm. or afraid of or, or think is safe. But I'm like, you don't get to decide that. Yeah. Well, yeah. and but, yeah. but on the, let's say, the PR marketing side, you know, my the frustration that I get, not to make this about us, but um, I, one of the reasons I've become very PR averse is because I don't like that PR is the thing you fall into. Mm-hmm. Because that basically said I had no tangible skill, but I wanted to be around. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know what I'm saying, yeah. and that means you're in the, you're a non-competitive or non you're not pushing yourself to yeah. become better or yeah, whatever, right. Right. and you're now the gatekeeper. Um, yeah. and I, I don't yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. then, um, but, but I'm yeah. wondering if Corey brought that up because the other day at the Next Gen Test, uh-huh. and we were talking about the sequential shifter, yep. and I had asked Corey if it was like shifting on a motorcycle Mm -hmm. and Corey's remark was it's got four wheels instead of two and I so I'm thinking that's why he asked that but was he he being a smart ass I took it that way yeah Um, because you're you're correct it is exactly like using a motorcycle because we use those yeah the same thing it's just the knob up here exactly literally the same thing yeah and so when I went out and looked at the way the sequential shifter is positioned in the next gen car yeah what comes to my mind then is the way it is in an NHRA car, yeah. particularly a pro stock. Yeah, yep. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I, um, I think there's a big disconnect. Sure. As far as where a lot of the media is concerned. Not all, but right. the majority. Well, you'd say that your perspective changed after 2003 when you started working with Renske and doing a lot more on the commercial side or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, especially more on the editorial and commentary side, you know, in IndyCar or sports car in particular, we're seeing it now with the next-gen cars. You know, there are a lot of rules or format changes being put in place to accommodate the commercial sides of the sport. Like, in, there are a lot of things going on in a sports car right now that are meant to appease manufacturers or appease gentlemen drivers. And it's very, oh, very... Oh, really? Oh. You know, you didn't hear fans. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> but here's where I'm going with this is, is it's very easy to criticize some of these decisions, and rightfully so with, within reason, 
But if you haven't worked with manufacturers or worked with gentlemen drivers to know those dynamics, it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to criticize some of the decisions made than when you actually understand why they're making them and mm -hmm. who they're making them for and the challenges that come with it. I see. Um, which I, I think you can't do unless you've worked with those sides. Yeah, of the right. Deal. Yeah. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So tomorrow we're going to have lunch with Justin Marks. Mm -hmm. If you could ask a question of Justin Marks through us, what would it be? Well, actually, I got to fudge a little bit and ask two. Up, oh, fine. Anything to your show. Yeah. Okay. One, one is how did Justin and Pitbull join together as a partnership? How did they meet? How did that deal come about? The other one is what is it? Pitbull is such high energy. How? What is it like having him as a business partner? Now, were you a huge Pitbull fan prior? I had seen him perform. What? <laughs> on in TV, concert. in oh, concert. I was you went to a concert. Front row. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's done a couple of concerts on Good Morning America. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And been on there quite a bit. And okay. I've seen him do concerts and all on Good the, Morning on America. The, okay. So I was aware of him and his... Um, his demeanor. Yeah. yeah. Mr. But, but until we Mr. actually had a him on a press conference mm -hmm. or a Zoom conference for the preseason deal yeah. with him and Justin and Daniel. Um, I was not that much aware of him yeah. and all his philanthropy and yeah. the schools mm -hmm. and, and the, all that. I don't know the guy and neither of us do, but I get the impression the guy you see on TV is probably him. Uh, well, he seems to be that way around the racetrack. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, see, isn't his, know. isn't his given name Armando? That's right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because one of the questions in the Zoom preseason Zoom conference was, do you want us to call you Pitbull or Armando? What do we call you? Mr. Worldwide, <laughs> obviously. And his comment was, whichever one you want. Oh, okay. okay, he gets it. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. an easy going dude. Yeah. He's like, Pitbull. Yeah. Always. And never look me in the eye. Don't look at me in the eye. So thinking back in some of the what we now call golden eras of NASCAR, the mm -hmm. 70s or the 80s, looking at today's crop of drivers, who would absolutely have no business being out there? Well, Dan Cameron, of course. Really? Yeah. It's interesting how no hesitation yeah. ever huh. from no. anyone. Well, I mean, you know, let's face it. If you're not known to the public, you're not going to get the rides. You're not going to get the sponsors. And I wouldn't know if you walked through the door. Who would you say of, of, of the sort of known legends of that, that several decade era, who would you say was your, your biggest advocate? Richard. Richard. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one to have. That's absolutely. Yeah. How did you how did you like working with uh, with the captain? I learned so much. Yeah. I learned a lot and and Don Miller was my direct boss. And then of course Roger would come in and and you know, I'd known Roger and, and Walt Zarnicky. I knew Walt when he was running Michigan. And so much respect for the man. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I just learned so much. He would come in to the office, to the race shop, and yeah. he would come around and speak to each of us, and he knew something personal yeah. in each of our lives. Yeah, that's his reputation, yeah. And to discuss it. And when we were picking photographs for the new office up there that mm -hmm. they have now, um, I thought, well, you know, I can't have Rusty because Ryan will get mad. I can't have Ryan, Rusty will get mad in the <laughs> office. So I thought, you know, when I was a child, I just had a big crush on Mark Donahue. I just yeah. love Mark Donahue. Yes, now you're speaking our language. Yeah. And yeah. so I thought, okay, I'll put Mark in my it's office. Nice, safe, safe so, bed. Yeah. Yeah. 
I picked Mark Donahue's picture to go in my office, and the first time Roger walked in my office and saw Mark Donahue's picture up there, yeah, he just smiled. That's so cool. And um, but you know, so many things like things. I w- consistency was really big. Is really big with Roger. And little things like you had to clear your desk at night. And the reason for that is so you could start fresh the next day without a cluttered mind. You start fresh the next day. And he wasn't as strict about us as he was with the people at his car dealerships. But particularly there, you weren't allowed to have personal things in your office. And that was because... If you graduated from Carolina and you've got a Duke person coming in uh, to buy a sure. car and they walk in and see Carolina in your office, you're probably going to lose that sale. Right. <laughs> and rather than write the laundry list of what you can and can't have in your office, just, just say nothing. Easy. Yeah. No right. personal. And yeah. then, you know, it's like they were putting a tan tile in the race shop. I thought, that is the most stupid thing I've ever heard <laughs> is to put mm-hmm. a tan tile in a race shop. Right. But when it was explained to me why Roger was doing it, it made perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. And that was if you dropped a tool or damaged that portion of the floor, you only had to replace right. the tiles that were damaged, right. not the whole floor. Yeah. I thought, okay, that makes good sense. Yeah, yeah. So I learned a lot from him mm-hmm. of how to deal with people, treat people, yeah. um, how to conduct business. So, yeah, I, oh, my dad was so proud of me. Well, he sure. loved bragging the fact that yeah. I was working for Roger oh, Penske. That's a big deal. Right, yeah. but not like two decades of working for a, a Global Wire. But Penske, yeah. that was the thing. And I have to admit, I take great, great pride in saying that, you know, I worked with, for Roger Penske and Don Miller and Walt yeah. Zarnicky. And, yeah. 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 yeah, all the legends. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Tim Sendrick. 40, 50 years of change you've seen in sports car and NASCAR you know why the changes have happened good or bad but you you know you you've been exposed to so much of the sport you understand why people are more robotic or why mm-hmm. this will what is the thing that you miss the most about what we used to have that you think we could go oh, the back personal to? relationships with the drivers and the crew chiefs yeah. and the crew i used to know at least one crew person if not more yeah and that's um, not the case now? Every single team. Yeah. No. And, I mean, they felt comfortable talking with you. Yeah. Now they're afraid to talk to you if the PR people doesn't approve yeah, or this right, doesn't right, approve. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, it's a um, – it's more formal. I miss the informality of – prime example, Tim Brewer got mad one time because I had written something uh, that – had been said during qualifying for the all-star race when Jeff Bodine was the driver at Junior Johnson's and Tim Brewer was crew chief. Well, Bob Latford was handling PR for Budweiser. And Bob comes and tells me that Tim Brewer is mad at me and I need to go work it out with Tim. So at Dover, it should be, though. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, like, PR interface. Exactly. You know? So at Do- we were at Dover, and Tim was on the back of the transporter. I said, Tim, I understand you're mad at me yeah so we sat down and we talked about it and then he found out that what i had written was what the pr director for nascar had said in the media center regarding the situation (laughs) well once he found out that then he was cool with me and he said well you i'll tell you right now whenever you want to know anything about my car you come come to me 
I said, fine, if I want to know something about your car at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'll call you at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, he yeah, said, that's right. fine, I'll answer the phone. <laughs> and fine, 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 yeah. <laughs> we all get along. Yeah. <laughs> we all agree. Okay. <laughs> and so Tim and I have had a great relationship ever since then. Yeah. And it was funny when Ray Everham was looking to go to, um, to leave Hendrick and start uh-huh. his own team. And Ben Blake, who was with the Richmond paper at that time, Ben and I were up there, and we were trying to get comments from Ray at Dover. Mm-hmm. And Ray turned around and said, I will talk to you after practice. I said, okay. Ben said, okay. Ray said, no. I said, I would talk to her after practice, <laughs> not you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. But that's what I miss. I miss the the yeah. informality and the, yeah, the relationship. From the people yeah. Built yeah, relationships kind of with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. that's what I miss and is that camaraderie. Yeah. We kind of hit on this. Is that the sports is – growing to the point that it's no longer just the same couple of people or is that just that there's more layers of, of interface now the thing is there's more layers of interface yeah. but the good thing is is i see it starting to come back among the reporters that are there every mm-hmm. week like with mm-hmm. bob pockris yeah and and uh dustin long and nate ryan and kelly crandall you know, I see that starting to come back now between the drivers and, and those people. Whereas when the sport got so big and you had so many people covering it from the Miami Herald so and the yeah, New York yeah, Times yeah, yeah, and right. all that, the drivers got to where they didn't know who they could trust and who they couldn't. And so they just withdrew from everybody. And now they're getting back to it's the same you know, half dozen people. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. Yeah. And and it's we have I see it coming back. Way too many journalists. <laughs> <laughs> we have two, and they can't get along. We have two. <laughs> yeah, and they, they hate, and each, they hate each other. Um, but uh, and so I would love to cover the twenty-four hours a day. Time. We would love for it. You could be our reporter. Yeah, I say it because it would be genuinely good coverage. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, no, it'd be a problem. Like, you would actually be a problem because <laughs> yeah. you do such a good job. They'd be like, "We got to get rid of her right yeah. now." Yeah. <laughs> the two of them would be like, "I know I hate you, and you hate me." Yeah, she's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the three things I've still I want to go back and cover. I've covered the twenty four hours of Daytona twice right. and twelve hours of Sebring. What years? Uh, twenty four hours of Daytona was eighty six, ninety seven. That's a totally different event now. Yeah. Yeah. And then that was when I was doing GT Motorsports, that was when I did the twelve hours of Sebring road atlanta but that go back to the 24 hours of daytona i still would love to go to lamar sometime yeah. and i would love to do the double i would love to do the indy 500 yeah. and then, and then fly down and do the 600 that's cool that's cool yeah um only other thing just just because we we like to do this with with people that have been around for a while the 18-year-old listen to this in their college dorm who has an aspiration to become a journalist. What's the best way for a young person to piss you off? To not be ethical. Mm. You know, ethics were drummed into me. I had really good editors coming up, good managing editor and editors, and ethics were crucial. Uh, I actually had a former Secret Service agent as my communications law professor. Oh, wow. Who had been on the Kennedy-Johnson advance team. Yeah. Scott Trundle. And he was great. So he knew things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he knew how to say it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just grates on my nerves to see somebody unethical in the business. Mm-hmm. Just really sends me through the roof. Yeah. And arguably here in 2021, you're still around 
maybe, maybe that has something to do yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, that could also be a lot due to my hard headedness. I can see and this. stubbornness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I somehow yeah. have a feeling yeah. that is true. Yeah. 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 Just to, it's like I always tell people, I hope I live for a long time because there's still a lot of people I want to aggravate. <laughs> you want to go on the road with us? Yeah, we can help you. <laughs> this there. is we, yeah. we have a lot of hate in that car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We learned today that we get good at golfing when there's a target that moves. Yeah, we went to Top Golf mm-hmm. and we're not good. Mm-hmm. And the second the little cart comes out to start picking things up, we become like we both became phenomenal with the like, golf club. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. this is this is hate driven. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, one our only final bit is um, you know we we ask everybody you know for somebody who clicking in on on the Deb Williams podcast we have didn't know who you were going in what is the legacy you were hoping to leave behind on something like this that the, all the competitors that i covered know and realize that i didn't consider them a wrong on my career ladder that i honestly cared for them as people and cared about them as people and not I, that i was never using them but i was always after the truth all right. Well, this place is closing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're getting the hint. Uh, they're sweeping around. Literally us. sweeping around <laughs> us. So <laughs> in that case, I'd say Continental's got the check. Thank you so much for all your time. It's been delightful. Thank, Thank you, you for your yeah. time. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Please. Please. We owe you. I'm finished. I want a '50s kind of love. I want a heart that isn't so messed up. I want the pure stuff that I once dreamed of Bless all the dirt under the rug I want a 50s kind of love Shining black and white simply enough No real earth, no complications of That no good nasty real love I want a 50s kind of love kind of love I want a heart that isn't so messed up I want to count all of the stars ever and burst the dirt under the rug I want a 50s kind of love Kind of love.